0: Christ, and welcome to Concord Matters, a show that seeks to be united in our confession of the Christian faith through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says it well from Romans 15, "...may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." We seek this harmony by the Holy Spirit through the study of the clear and concise teachings confessed in the Book of Concord. Because as we study the Book of Concord, they are in accord with God's holy word. I'm your host, Brady Finner District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Reminder to our listeners today that My voice is still not 100%, so I'm going to depend on my guest today as we look at the Book of Concord. And as we join, we all are starting basically over in the Book of Concord. We started with the Small Catechism, really for something familiar. We are greatly blessed, and I encourage you to continually go back to the great confessors of the faith that we studied with in the Small Catechism. But now we go to the preface to better understand the whole Book of Concord. A little warning here. We're going to be covering history. If you're not a history buff, I ask for your patience, but I do ask for you to follow along because when we look at history, I love history personally. It's like, to me, it's like watching Bob Ross paint a picture on NPR, NPR, because it might not make sense right away. But as we slowly watch it unfold, maybe I'm not as dynamic as Bob Ross, but we're going to have a broader understanding of the situation and the tapestry of how God was giving His grace in those days, and God by His Word still is giving His grace today. So, open up your Book of Concord, which today we'll be studying from the Reader's Edition of the the Lutheran Confessions, Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, the Reader's Editions of the Book of Concord from Concordia Publishing House. So, open it up. Also, open up your Bible and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the preface of the Book of Concord, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ, we welcome the Rev. Dr. Rich Radowski, Executive Director and CEO of Lutheran Bible Translators in Concordia, Missouri. Dr. Radowski, welcome to Concord Matters.
1: Hey, thanks, Brady. It's great to be with you.
0: Pastor, uh, Pastor, tell us about Lutheran Bible translators. As you know, it's kind of crazy w- translators around the world. But you're in Concordia, Missouri. Give us the story.
1: Yeah, Lutheran Bible translators is uh, one of a, a collection of Bible agencies working uh, around the world to um, look at the over seven thousand languages in the world, and uh, there's over three thousand of those yet that don't have access to Scripture in a language that they understand best, and um, we are working uh, around the world to, uh, in the next 10 years to put God's word in their hands in uh, every viable language. Um, and uh, for Lutherans, we are, your, uh, we are your Bible translation ministry. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we're at work in uh, several different countries around the world, um, uh, at work in those local languages, many of which have never been written before, and uh, developing language skills, working with the church. Uh, helping the church to further their vision and uh, ministry um, by equipping them with the gospel in the language that uh, they want to reach out to. And
0: Pastor, this is kind of a fascinating um, reality because, for example, here in America, if you want the Bible, not only is it on an app, not only is it in English, but we have what? You know? dozens of of translations yeah. of any sort that we kind of like uh, you know pick and choose which one you want but right. how many countries do you work with i'm sorry did you say that
1: yeah we are working in uh, 17 different countries right now yep okay
0: wow and we're talking can you give us can you give us a list right now
1: a list of the countries. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. Uh, I'm putting you on the spot.
1: <laughs> yeah. um, I cannot name them all off the top of my head, but uh, in West Africa, Southern Africa, East Africa, where the Lutheran Church is absolutely exploding and has a huge vision yeah. for, for mission and ministry. And so we're right at the front lines with them. Uh, parts of Southeast Asia, where um, folks are kind of hostile to uh, Christianity. We've got folks sort of working under the radar. Um, and uh, um. And um, in the Middle East as well. So, and actually here in the United States. So,
0: oh, crazy. That's what a blessing. So, I encourage you, our listeners, to um, pray for Lutheran Bible translators as they proclaim Christ. It is a real joy for me. My daughter goes to St. Paul Lutheran High School, and right there on campus is uh, uh, Lutheran Bible translators, which is this great intersection of. So many international students, so many missionaries that all meet up in the middle of Missouri. So, Dr. Radowski and I have had lunch and learned more about that ministry, and I'm very thankful for all that you do. So, Pastor, the the Lord's blessings to you and and the people who, the great people who work at Lutheran Bible Translators. Today, uh, Dr. Radowski, we're here to study the preface (laughs) of the Book of Concord. So, I encourage you, our listeners, to look on page three. Um, and, and the uh, Reader's Edition of Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, and the real goal here is for us to start at the very beginning. Pastor, what are your first thoughts as we um, prepare to well go from the very beginning of what's called the Book of Concord?
1: Yeah, reading through the the preface here, I think it's uh, it's just it's interesting to to see the the confessors as they summarize, Okay, why are we doing this? Why are we putting this together? I think um, whenever um, we are going to, to read a document, and especially something as important in the Lutheran faith as the, uh, as the Book of Concord, to just have that background of, okay, so how did this come to be? Um, why is this important? It informs then what's going to actually be confessed later. And so um, their story of, of how they came together and what transpired to, to bring this about is, is uh, interesting and informative for, for our confession.
0: It's fascinating to me, too, because all of this and the writings that we have in the whole Book of Concord are in the 16th century. Yep. And and it's fascinating to be able to, to realize that because we struggle when our cell phones are two years old. Right. And so to think our whole church body, the foundational documents begin in the Word of God, thousands of years old. And then here we have the Book of Concord, which is well over uh, 400 plus years old. Pastor, why is it? Something that is, um, how is that still relevant for us today?
1: Well, I think that it really sets the stage for the importance of confession. And and while it is, you know, centuries old now, um, at the time of the preface was written, it was new. And um, there was a, a new Bible translation. That's kind of a connection that really stood out to me, is that here in the German language, just for a couple of generations, there's been access to the Word of God with clarity for the first time. And uh, that created a, a season of um, questions and wrestling with what does the text really say here and how does, how does that inform our lives and what do we believe, teach, and confess? And then um, the, the relevant aspect is that that's something that never really goes away, that, um, that there are questions and God's Word is there to wrestle with and to inform and, and give answers on that. And, um, and the thing the Book of Concord really models well for us is, um, that doesn't just happen, uh, unattached and in this time only it's connected to, to what's gone before us. So in the book of Concord, of course, begins with the ecumenical creeds way back at the beginning and, and just builds on those. And that's, uh, that's important for us to, to model as well as, uh, those who have come before us have wrestled with questions and the way they do that. And the, the promise that they give the text, uh, is a model for us and also, um, allows us to clarify and confess, um, the problems that are before us today.
0: I wanna, I wanna highlight this as we're um, beginning all of this. Is that the next today and the next two episodes? We'll be having uh, uh, Dr. John Maxfield, who is a professor of history in Canada, and also John, Dr. John Halwegge, who is also a historical professor in the Lutheran Church Canada, who will give us like the full bore, all you can imagine historical joy that we will have. Right. And today is very, very much so a basic understanding, and it relates very well to Lutheran Bible translators in this way, that you have all the writings in the Book of Concord were pretty well established. In 1537. So let me give you the list and what's in the Book of Concord. You have the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, Athanasian Creed. That goes from 2nd century all the way to the 6th or maybe the 8th century. Then you have the Small Catechism, Large Catechism, 1529. Augsburg Confession, Apology of the Augsburg Confession, 1530-31. Small Called Articles, 1536. Treatise to the Power and Primacy of the Pope, 1537. And then you have that kind of time where they have it all established. Everything should be good. I mean, we got it all. It's all good. It's all there. But then controversy arose over questions of things like the Lord's Supper, questions that arose of just basic doctrine, election, those kind of things. So by the time you get to 1577, you have a uh, person like Martin Chemnitz, who often is referred to as the second Martin, if it wasn't for the second Martin, we wouldn't have the Lutheran Church. Um, the formula Concord comes into being in 1577, where this preface is written basically in the Latin text and the German text, 1580 and 1584. So it, it relates in this way. You think you'd have it all figured out, but we're always seeking more clarity in the context and times that we are. Pastor. Um, let me, let me put it this way. Like you said, the Bible was written in German for the Germans and they had all these writings, but yet there's still controversy. How does that happen? Why does that happen?
1: Yeah. The, um, the text of the scripture, um, you know, when you, you read it, there's, there's interpretation required. It's the, um, the, the text of the scripture is written, um, inspired by God in, in certain situations though, in certain places. And so, um, there's, uh, there is uh, uh, application and interpretation in the original uh, situation. And then there is extrapolation of what, what principles are sort of universal or how do those apply and look today. And, um, and as many, uh, ways of looking at the text as there are, there are different interpretations available. And so, again, uh, you've mentioned that, you know, we're gonna have historical professors on there. This is sort of a hermeneutical thing, and I'm not that either. <laughs> but, uh, you know, hermeneutics <laughs> is the the framework by which you decide to interpret a text and what's what's critical. You By by nature of um, interacting with the text, you are choosing to um, begin with a certain a set of assumptions and a certain framework. And, um, in many ways, the Book of Concord, uh, what it ends up doing is clarifying what that framework is and saying, um, when we approach the text of scripture, we make these assumptions and we hold these things to be important, um, which by necessity sort of says that these other things are also there, but they're not as highlighted or not as important. And here's the reasons why. And so there's actually a great amount of honesty and clarity in, in setting those up, but um, as, as people dig into the text further and and wrestle with things, um, maybe some of some things weren't clear. And that's what the historical guys will, will get into is what particularly arose. Um, and it's like, wow, okay, so our confessions kind of touched on that, but we didn't really get into this. And so maybe that was an available interpretation, but I don't think that was what was intended. So let's clarify a little more. So, I mean, I think that's that's kind of how it happens. And then Maybe issues that, hey, nobody seemed to really have thought of this before. It wasn't in view at the time that a confession was being written, um, but it's in view now. So how do we address this? It's it's ongoing.
0: And that's one of the, the great realities of, I encourage you, our listeners, to continue to see the value of looking at the Book of Concord is, yes, it's history, Yes, it addresses a certain reality at that time, but it's amazing how practical that, that, that common confession of faith is from the 16th century as it is today. So this is going to be a journey that I ask for your patience, but also it is so, even today, the first, uh, really the page and a half of, of the Book of Concord is so rich as we look at what was going on in those days but also the clarity that we need today. Uh, one person put it this way, that the Book of Concord is like giving water to somebody who is almost dying of thirst in the desert, because we can get so lost in clarity when it comes to faith in our culture, that this is the opportunity to find that clarity. So that's the journey we're on, and I'm excited to be on it with you. Pastor, any other opening thoughts you have before
1: we dig into the text? Now I'm ready to, to dig into it.
0: All right. Once again, we are in Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, a reader's edition of the Book of Concord on page three of the preface from eight, the Latin it is based on the translation on the Latin text of 1584. And it reads to the readers, one and all, all of these are writings. We are the electors, princes and deputies of the Holy Roman Empire in Germany Supporters of the Augsburg Confession who subscribe our names to that document, we announce and declare, according to the dignity and rank of each person, our devotion, friendship, and greeting combined with willing service. Now, Pastor, I want to make just a few notes and see what your thoughts are, too. This is not just a bunch of pastors getting together and confessing something. This electors, princes, deputies of the Roman, Holy Roman Empire in Germany. So you had um, you have laity, you have leaders of the government, you have pastors, others, and Zeus, very good words, who subscribe our names to that document. Meaning that they wrote their names down and at the end of the preface that we'll highlight a little bit later, but as many names, mm-hmm. and they announce and declare their devotion, friendship, and greeting combined with willing service. So that is a very clear um, wording that you'll have throughout. Confess, announce, declare, Pastor. What are your thoughts on that first section?
1: Yeah, the um, the clarity that uh, that they seek to bring is is just finds its foundation even from their first um, their first introductions here. As we, uh, and I actually also love that they they say we're the folks that are responsible to see that these things are clear, you know, that when you think about what a leader is in the biblical, you know, picture of a good leader, it's someone who um, is in position of authority for the sake of the people over whom they, they govern, right. And, and exercise authority. And so um, their willingness from the beginning to serve and say, um, we want to be sure this is clear really serves the, 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 needs of many people who um, can easily be um, brought astray by the lack of clarity and have questions. And those questions aren't just sort of, well, take it or leave it or it doesn't really matter too much. These are questions that ultimately can be questions of conscience and, and uh, terrifying for folks. And so these guys say, look, it's really incumbent upon us that, that there be clarity here. And um, so, I, yeah, I really love that they um, say we want to be clear and um, we're not just sort of doing this in a, a vacuum. We are responsible for what we say here. And uh, yeah, we declare this uh, and and want you to hear it from us.
0: I love how you brought up the conscience for, for a clear conscience. I encourage you, our listeners, as we go through the Book of Concord, I would challenge you. Look for the word Conscience throughout the time and the conscience being that, um, one person put it as a window that if you have a window that is clear, you're able to see outside your window with what's actually there. And to compare that with, you're able to see the fullness of who God is and your relationship with him. And so if you have a, 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 a window that is covered in, in dirt or soot or whatever it might be, you're not able to see the full picture. But when we have clarity, it's soothing for the conscience. And throughout this whole book of Concord, um, I would encourage you to highlight the word conscience. The, the reformers are obsessed with it because they don't write this for political power. There might have been some politics involved, no doubt. Sure. But it is it is so clear that they are worried about the conscience does the, the people who hear these words in Germany and throughout the world, do they know that they have a right relationship with God because of the cross of Jesus Christ? And and so what I did a couple of years ago is Dr. John Kleinig encouraged us to, to highlight a few words in, in in the Book of Concord. And you'd be amazed how often it comes up. And it was in the hundreds when I started highlighting conscience mm-hmm. Um, this is during COVID when I had a little more time. And it was amazing how many times that comes up or for Christ's sake or forgiveness of sins. Um, it's all over the place because they wanted to make sure that their listeners and their people believed and knew the truth of and clarity throughout the book of Cognor. That's what it's all about. Pastor, any thoughts before we move on?
1: No, I'm, I'm good.
0: <laughs> all right. Sounds good. <laughs> I'm... Uh, I say I have a bad voice, but I keep talking. Okay, we How are you doing, doing well? Um, <laughs> on page three, we get to what's titled The Issues. In these last times, and in this old age of the world, Acts 2, 17, what, what a remarkable favor of Almighty God has arisen after the darkness of papal superstitions. According to the, His unspeakable love, patience, and mercy, He will that the light of His gospel and word through which alone we receive true salvation, should arise and shine clearly and purely in Germany, our most beloved fatherland. Therefore, a brief and succinct confession was prepared from God's word, the most holy writings of the prophets and apostles, at 2 Peter chapter 3. At the Diet of Augsburg in the year 1530, this confession was offered in German and Latin languages by our most godly ancestors to the Emperor Charles V of excellent memory. It was laid before the deputies of the empire. Finally, it was circulated publicly in the entire world among all people professing Christian doctrine. So it was spread everywhere and began to be found in the mouths and speech of all. Later, many churches and schools embraced and defended this confession as a current symbol of the chief articles of faith. This was done especially by those involved in the controversy with the Romanists and the various corruptions of the heavenly doctrine. With lasting agreement, they appealed to the Augsburg Confession without any controversy and doubt. They knew that the doctrine included in it was both supported by first firm testimonies of Scripture and approved by the ancient and accepted symbols, the creeds. They have also constantly judged this confession to be the only and lasting consensus of the true believing Church. In the past, this consensus was defended against many heresies and errors. Now it is repeated." Pastor, there's some just beautiful language in this. How do you want to, where do you want to start?
1: Yeah, the the thing that uh, came to my mind first is in, in uh, paragraph two, just the way they unfold, um, that the remarkable favor of Almighty God has arisen after the darkness of papal superstition, meaning the Word of God in its clarity was brought to our people. And I just think of the the situations that I've seen in our work in Lutheran Bible translators. The situation I lived in, my family and I lived in Botswana, and and um, you know the church is already there, but the the language that the that the scriptures were brought to them in is uh, second or third language for folks, and that that allows room for a lot of um, you know extracurricular (laughs) superstition type things to blend in or blend in from prior belief, just because the clarity is not there and um, how when the Word of God comes into a language, it just begins to remove that clarity. You know, a few years ago, um, uh, we have a, uh, an annual Bible Translation Sunday that we make materials available to the church, and uh, a few years ago, the author for our sermon was um, Dr. Just from Concordia Theological Seminary, and uh, his sermon title was The Building Without the Book, and it talked about you know this, this dynamic that can occur when you have church and you have religious activity, but it's not grounded in scripture. And it was just so, so poignant for, and, you know, he talked about the, the era of the church prior to the reformation and how, you know, when, when you're not grounded in scripture, um, there's a lot of other stuff that arises and actually his original uh, references, the, the time of Josiah, when they find the book of the law in the temple and they've been having ritual and all kinds of stuff going on for hundreds of years without the book. Right. And um, so that clarity that comes in is sort of the first thing. This, um, the clarity of the Word of God came in, and then a brief and succinct confession was prepared from God's Word. And and, you know, for the readers of the Book of Concord, that's always something to to come back to. Is these confessions are not something just in their own right; they are only anything because they're from God's Word. And um, so that, but but you know, as soon as the, the Word of God became available. Um it was important to say, um, there have been some uh, superstitions or some beliefs, and we want to address those things and clarify uh, what we believe here and and um, yeah, the, just the language that they use for the the Augsburg confession, um, that this is the uh, the oh, where did it go here they, the these confessions to be the only and lasting consensus of the true believing church. So they really felt like you know, when the Augsburg confession and its apology, which just note that there was immediately an apology, so already clarification, um, right. but, uh, but you know, that this confession really handled a lot of the issues and gave something to stand on and say, um, this, is, this is what we believe that the Word of God teaches us, because we have access to the Word of God now and can really wrestle with the issues that are set before us. And so... Um, yeah, you can see, um, and maybe this is as we go on to the next paragraphs, but there was sort of this era of this confession is really noteworthy and something to lean on and stand on. Um, and uh, the agreement and the unity that it brought about were remarkable and and really encouraging for the life of the church. And and in that season, um, paragraph four is going to get into, okay, so what happened next? So I'll save it there, but it's just an interesting yeah. dynamic of, uh, of, of, um, yeah, that the church had clarity and the Lord allowed that season of clarity and, and really blessed it. And yet the Lord um, chooses sometimes to let it go a different direction. And
0: we see this quite often, even in our world today, that that I call it American theology mm-hmm. can easily sneak in. For example, well, when, when a baby dies, it becomes an angel. And you're like, okay, well, okay, let's go back to God's word. What God's word have to say about this? And that's not what God's word has to say about when a child um, dies. Um, it's tragedy, and we want comfort, but we want the comfort always to be brought back to the cross. And that's the clarity um, that, that the confessions bring. And like you're saying, there's a lot of papal superstitions is what he calls it. Of uh, uh, This is how you're saved. But it, it, it always comes back also to the gospel right. that they're talking about. Okay, it can be clear. It can be pure. It can be lasting. And for us as Lutherans, we say this is what we believe, teach, and confess. And, and the only reason why we would be able to tell somebody else we don't agree on that is because it is based on God's word. And that's where um, it can be seen as narcissistic at times, um, arrogant at times. But you know what? We humbly come before and say, okay, let's go to God's word. And I know, Pastor, you guys have to deal with work with that and other church bodies. And what a blessing it is to work with other Christians to be able to say, this is what we believe, teach, and confess to for us to be good Lutherans and for them to be according to their confession. And you know what? Maybe God's word um, will change some hearts and and change what what, what is there, but all of it's going to be always according to God's word. Uh, Pastor, you know what? We need to take our break, though. Um, We are studying the preface of the book of Concord, and we will be right back. Welcome back we are studying the history and background of the book of concord with the reverend dr rich radowski the executive director and ceo of lutheran bible translators now pastor i said quite a bit before our break but it is one of those uh um, difficult things at times for us to say this is what we believe and confess mm-hmm. It's not saying other people are not christians but we are saying that there are differences and so pastor uh, you, as losing Bible translators, and your work as a pastor, you you know that there's times where we can work together with other Christians and say that yes, we we are united in this, but also we are able to say we don't believe the same as you based on what we believe, teach, and confess. Pastor, that that can be kind of a tough tension. Any thoughts you have in in your work and what you've seen in the church?
1: Yeah, it definitely uh, it definitely can be, especially when your ministry is focused on. Um, making the Word of God available in a community that's never had access to the Word of God. And the reason as Lutherans that we're so passionate about that is because we believe that the Word of God is going to be foundational to any clear confession and understanding um, that may exist. And um, and so, um, you know, working with other Christians in the area of other different backgrounds um, is critical, and and we you know, set up, um, and boundaries and, and relationships for working saying, you know, the, the scripture that's being translated is, uh, there are certain translation principles and methods that need to be applied. And, and, um, you know, we are uh, not to, uh, insert interpretation into the, the, uh, the translation itself. There are plenty of things. And as Lutherans, this is core to who we are that, a hey, God's word, um, has things that uh don't have as clear an answer as we might want, or the interpretation has several available interpretations and and we trust that the Holy Spirit will work through his words, so when we translate, we can leave some of that ambiguity there and and that the confessions the, the clarity of the church needs to to wrestle with those things and likewise the Lutherans in those places where we are uh, at work um, you know have access to the confessions that we historically have subscribed to and and can begin to do that but um, yeah, the, the word of God is for all Christians. And um, if, if anyone will have a clear and right confession, it will be because they begin with the word of God. And um, so that's really critical to, to uh, what we do.
0: And what's, what's great about how um, the first three sections, at the end of the, the section, I love what it says here is, it says they all have also constantly judged this confession to be the only lasting consensus of the true believing church. Meaning we believe this right. Right. <laughs> in the past, this consensus was defended against many heresies and errors. And then it says, now it is repeated. Right. And that's what I love about that language is first of all, like when we gather uh, at the divine service that we will read the apostles creed again, yes. and the Nicene creed again, Athanasian, maybe once a year, maybe more than once a year, but it, it needs to be repeated which is why it's always good to go back to it, because, you know, I, I thought I was a pretty good Lutheran. Then I read the whole Confessions, and I'm like, wait, I need to learn more. And then I read it again, and then, wait, I'm, maybe I'm not as good of a Lutheran as I thought I was. So just a reminder that it's a repeat fashion as we confess every single week and also as we look at the Book of Concord. So, uh, Dr. Radowski, well, I can speak for myself. I'm by no means an expert as we look at the Confessions. So just be prepared by His Holy Spirit. To learn and be formed as we continue on. Pastor, any other thoughts on why this needs to be repeated?
1: Yeah. I mean, I just think it's noteworthy that, you know, this preface is being is being written. Um, you mentioned already the sequence of the other material in the book of Concord. This is being written before the formula of Concord then is published and added to. And that's it now it is repeated means hey, none of what's gone before is somehow like obsolete. Uh, this is a especially, you know, these confessions have have been understood as uh, the true and lasting consensus of the church, they've, it's been defended against many heresies. And so it's repeated. It's here again because it still stands. And yet there's need for more clarity. I think both and they're, again, very Lutheran. Mm, yeah,
0: Very much so. Let's continue on. Um, on number four, on page three of the preface. No one can be ignorant of this fact. Immediately after Dr. Martin Luther, that most distinguished hero endowed with most eminent piety, was removed from human affairs, Germany, our dear fatherland, experienced most perilous times and most severe disturbances. In these difficulties and in sad division of a government that was early, earlier flourishing and well-regulated, the enemy of the mortals, Satan, cunningly labored. He scattered the seeds of false doctrine and dissensions in the church and the schools, Matthew 13. He also labored to stir up division. Divisions combined with offense. By these arts of his, he labored to corrupt the purity of the heavenly doctrine, to sever the bond of Christian love and godly agreement, and to hinder and delay to a greater degree the spread of the most holy gospel. It is also known to all how the enemies of the heavenly doctrine seize this opportunity to speak against our churches, schools, to disguise their errors. And to draw alarmed and erring consciences, right there, conscience, away from the purity of the gospel teaching. They did this to make people more willing to bear and tolerate the yoke of papal slavery and also to embrace other corruptions conflicting with God's word. Pastor, there's there's a few highlights I think we have in here. It highlights Dr. Martin Luther King not Luther King, excuse me. <laughs> Martin Luther, I yeah, anyways, um and, and his teaching and a few other realities what do you want to start
1: yeah first uh, just uh i guess because of uh, my own immediate context here our uh, our staff and missionaries and lutheran bible translators just finished uh in our devotion study of galatians and it just is so it's so similar right that um, a clear confession was made and yet uh, an opportunity for dissension arises satan comes in and and uh, you know, don't lose sight of the the fact that uh, Satan will always find the pressure point and the opening to stir discord, confusion and to trouble consciences. And that was happening in Galatia. Nothing new. It's happening here uh, in the time after Luther as well. And and again, um, the historical folks are going to have on in the in upcoming episodes really can dig into this. But I was just doing a little looking at it. And, you know, the first disruption is just within the same year that Luther died. It's like the Lord had sort of held it back and then and then let it in for some reason, and um, and that uh, that division and discord uh, really gave the opportunity for for Satan to to do his work. And there's so many places in the Confessions where um, uh, you, you know pretty overtly uh, the confessors will mention the role of Satan in all this. I think particularly like in the the large catechism on the third commandment um, where Luther says uh, I'm you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, if you don't think you need to be uh, in a place to hear the word of God, um, if you think you've heard it all before, let me tell you that your enemy Satan does not rest in looking for a way to find a place, to find a, a, a way in to cause discord and disruption. He will do it. And the only way you can prevent that is to be in the word and clarifying. And so, um, uh, yeah, the, the um the opportunity arose and uh, lots of folks came in with different ideas or saying they were gonna clarify again which again is just like galatians right it was like um you've heard this new thing but we're here to tell you it's actually kind of back to the old way here if you really want to be uh-huh. sure uh that it's it's how it was before this what you think is new and and freeing is not really the way and uh there's no new tricks for satan <laughs>
0: And that's where it's so important as you are listeners, as we go through this, is continuously the reformers and the confessors are referencing the work of the devil. Because often we kind of blame ourselves, um, our sinful flesh, other people, the government, or whoever it might be, when they always go back to that source. I was reading the large catechism this morning on the sacrament of the altar, and it just speaks about how. How the devil, you know, really wants you to get messed up about what the body and blood of Christ is. And it says this, this is on page 440 on the large catechism at the end of the, the sacrament of the altar. Now, what is the devil? Nothing other than what the scripture tells us. He's a liar, a murderer. He's a liar to lead hearts astray from God's word and to blind it. So you cannot so that you cannot feel distress or come to Christ. And it goes down a whole list where I think often in our culture, either we think the devil's kind of this hidden idea, or the exorcist. Right. Um,
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: We kind of we lose sight about how. Oh my gosh, the devil is trying to to divide us, um, trying to distract us from the truth of God's word, and they knew that very well um, during those days, which we should be reminded as well. Begone, Satan, as the Lord tells us.
1: Yeah, for sure. He's I mean, not- in yeah, in our in our culture, I think that Satan's greatest trick is subtlety. Uh, you know I've been other places in the world where it's you know much more overt, uh, but that exotic uh, you know if if we in our in our culture, in our land in our church have this idea that well, we know it's Satan when we see this really exotic, unusual, very frightening thing in our in our place and time, uh, Satan's greatest trick is subtlety and um, and yeah that's that's where the clarity of uh, the gospel and the the confessions really call that out.
0: And, you know, like the devil said to Adam and Eve, did God really say, (laughs) you know, it's it's like, oh, oh, he's asking me a good question of uh, maybe I need to clarify this or or it brings more doubt. Once again, as it says on page four, um, to draw alarmed and erring consciences away from the purity of the gospel teaching. That's the whole time you look at the confessions. It is always obsessed and 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 desiring that people know that on account of christ you are forgiven and saved by his cross and empty tomb and that is who you are um pastor anything else on on that section the the section number four
1: yeah just i just highlight and add to what you said is drawing the alarmed and erring consciences away from the purity of the gospel teaching uh it's a simple sentence and yet the consequences of that are devastating um that that's why they, they bring, you know, the consequences of that are, can ultimately be uh, doubt and eternal separation from God. And and um, that clarity, just pointing back to the gospel, is, is really what the confessors are after, ultimately. And just sort of calling out one way after another, um, you know, Satan tries this, but here's the truth. Satan tries this, but here's the truth.
0: So let's keep hearing the truth. Uh, anything else? Are you ready to go into five? Yeah, ready to go. All right, number five. We conclude that nothing more agreeable could happen or should be sought more eagerly and prayerfully from Almighty God than the following: a, both our churches and our schools should preserve, persevere in the pure doctrine of God's word, and that is longed for and godly oneness of mind, First Corinthians one verse ten, and b, as was the case while Luther was still alive, they should be regulated by the divine word which was handed down to posterity in a godly and excellent way. However, we notice something else happening. This happened in the apostolic times in those churches where the apostles themselves had planted the gospel of Christ, First Corinthians chapter 3. Corruptions were introduced by false brethren, Galatians 2. So because of our sins and looseness of these times, this trouble has been allowed by an angry God against our churches. Hebrews chapter 10. Parts of this is it's quite direct and and kind of brings you like oh boy really right. okay but but also quite clear. So where do you want to start?
1: Yeah, well you can tell that Germans wrote this, right? So, uh, <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> I love it. Uh, uh, I love it.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, um, yeah. So I talked about Galatians too, and here it is. I actually forgotten that was in this paragraph coming up here, but Absolutely. exactly. That's mm-hmm. that's their point is they recognize um, in the same way the confessions always find their root in. In uh, the earliest times, and drawing forward and bringing more clarity. Um, so to that recognition that the reason that new that uh, confessing and clarifying is necessary is that from the beginning of the the church, there have been attacks on the the doctrine and the need to to clearly confess. And um, yeah, I and uh, the the sins and the looseness of these times, this trouble has been allowed by an angry God against our churches. I, that's um. That is so direct, and um, it it uh, yeah, it hits close to home. I think uh, it makes me think also in paragraph four, uh, just talking about um, uh, there had been perilous times and severe disturbances. That uh, sad division of government that was earlier flourishing and well regulated, like to our audience, those may sound like very familiar things. You know, there is right, again right. nothing different really about the time that we are in. Um, uh, perhaps the Lord allows times of. Of stability and peace, but the church has, has by and large throughout history, has um, grown and flourished and not been in the position of power or of peace, and um, has had to. Um, and it doesn't require uh, the government to hold it up or to support it. Um, it just requires a clear confession and uh, nothing but the reliance uh, on the gospel. It, nothing except for the reliance of. Of the truth of the gospel and and in Jesus Christ alone, and so, um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting call out to say, look, um, our sins uh, and looseness of these times. Perhaps that's how we should uh, see the situation that we find ourselves in from time to time as well. Not just uh, out there and um, and those folks of that culture, but somehow we're we're all part of that too. That certainly makes me stop and reflect, anyways.
0: It definitely does because it's very easy for us. Um, especially in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod to kind of say, well, at least we're not them. Yeah, You know, we're not, we're not confessing that as opposed to really looking upon ourselves, where have we maybe been loose in some of our doctrines? Where do we need to be more clear? And that definitely brings me to my knees um, especially in my current job is just for president, but just in my daily life and, and, and loving and caring for my bride and, and my children and teaching them the faith is, where do I need to be more clear? Where Scripture is very clear. Where do I need to be more focused on Christ? Where Scripture is not as clear, and and where is God leading us to clarify and to proclaim, just like they did in the 16th century, and one of the one of the great joys since the founding of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, which would be in 1847, is that we have our pastors and teachers and workers who are called into the church and to our schools to confess to the truth of not only the, the inerrant scriptures, but also to these confessions. And I think that relates beautifully when it says that um, we conclude that nothing more agreeable could happen, that we should be sought more eagerly and prayerfully from Almighty God than the following. A, I think it just, it fits so well with what we are as a church body. Yep. Both our churches and our schools should persevere in pure doctrine of God's word and the long for and godly oneness of mind. Yes. First Corinthians chapter one. And that's our goal. We, we, we can't control what necessarily our hearers believe, but we can control how it is proclaimed. And that's why um, I have full confidence when I've been part of an installation of a pastor, an installation of a deaconess, that our, our workers, specifically our pastors, stand up there, usually in red, to say, we believed in teaching and fasting the same thing that this pastor or this worker is joining us in. And right. so in a world we don't know where people believe, you are surrounded by pastors who stand up and say, we believe and teach and confess the same thing. And that's a powerful thing, very emotional for me every time I'm part of it. So, Pastor, any other thoughts? I mean, thoughts on that in our church body? And, and one, it's a pure joy to have that um, as as uh, sinful and, and and broken that we all are. But still, we stand on that firm foundation.
1: I think so. I, I think, boy, this could just be uh, an ongoing uh, repeated prayer to our heavenly Father, too uh, in our in our church body, in our churches, um, you know, asking for A and for B, that our churches and schools persevere in the pure doctrine of God's Word, uh, and that long for and godly oneness of mind that um, and uh, that we will be regulated by the divine Word, which was handed down to us in a godly and excellent way. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of ways that uh, can unfold and and uh, a lot of wrestling, um, of course, our confessions. Uh, certainly give us the 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 guide and clarity there uh, but this is this would be an amazing prayer for for our church um, to to be effective ministers then of the communities that gather in our congregations each Sunday but then to be effective ministers of the gospel to to the neighbors and neighborhoods that we find ourselves in and and um, you know you start to wrestle with uh, those different things going on in culture or there's different um, you know, socioeconomic things happening around us, but the clarity of the gospel and the clear confession of it, um, you know, it itself uh, supersedes those things and at least gives us the foundation and starting point to say we are driven um, to, to reach out and to share the good news because um, we have that clarity of, of, of uh, understanding. We have that unity of mind and we are governed by the word of God, which sends us into those communities and around the world to um, share that good news with others.
0: And that's why, uh, as as you are listeners, two things with that. Number one, I ask for you to pray for your pastors, um, your teachers, for our missionaries, for A and B. Yep. <laughs> as yep. we mentioned here, Just that's just a perfect prayer that I encourage you to pray. Maybe you pray with your pastor or your teachers. Maybe you pray um, over the phone with them, whatever it might be. But this is something I will say that I've never really seen anyone say, can you pray for this for our church and our church body and for our pastors? And you know what? I tell you this for you, our listeners, if, if one of the members I have when I was at Messiah or one of our pastors here and say, you know, what? I'm going to pray for you for this. That would be pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. Um, um, and it's good for us to, and, and to be able to continue to look at that unity. And, and this unity, as we believe, is, is possible because we believe it is all grounded, as pastor has said so well today, in God's word. Pastor, we're getting to the end of our uh, section. We have about 10 minutes left in our time. Anything else you want to highlight in the first five sections before we get to the last?
1: Yeah, I I don't really have anything. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) You don't have to. No, it's just one of those those options just just in case the Spirit moved you. Yeah. All right, let's get to that last section. And as we um, put this all together, therefore, mindful of our duty, we know this has been divinely commanded to us. We think that we should apply ourselves diligently to the work of attacking the false teachings that have been spread in our provinces and realms. Such teachings are gradually gaining favor for themselves in the manner and familiarity of the people. We should see to it that the subjects in our government may persevere in the straight way of godliness, Hebrews chapter 12, and the truth of the heavenly doctrine. This has been acknowledged, retained, and defended so far. The people should not be allowed to be led away from it. In this matter, indeed, partly our most worthy predecessors, partly we ourselves were eager at work. Then in the year of Christ, 1558, the Diet was held by the electors at Frankfurt on the Main. A resolution was adopted by unanimous vote that special general assembly should be held. In a thorough but friendly manner, there would be a conference among us about the things that are hatefully charged by our adversaries against our churches and schools. Now, that last part, we will be addressing more in the next episode that we have, but also, there's a, I mean, it's just great language for us to consider and to, well, fulfill in our day as well in this last section. Pastor, your thoughts?
1: Yeah, um, to, to, to jump right off what you just said there, uh, a thorough and friendly manner um, that, that would be a, another thing to, to pray for that, uh, in our Christian church and maybe even, uh, in our Lutheran church, Missouri synod that, you know, how do we strive for, uh, a conversation in a thorough and friendly manner to, you know, um, set aside, uh, anxiety and, and, um, I don't know, maybe past hurt and, um, misunderstanding and seek to say, I really want to, to come at this and, um, really have a discussion in a thorough and friendly manner to, to uh, unpack issues and see, you know, where are we out of alignment here and and what do the scriptures and the confessions say about that? And the other thing that just came to mind, I guess, from my own, um, my own background and experiences, you know, these, again, these are the leaders here saying, this is our duty to do this, um, to be sure that these things happening, these false teachings among us, again, as you mentioned at the outset, these aren't just church leaders. These are people who, um, they govern their people maybe in a more holistic way than we can we can think about today they have in mind um, uh, as they as they govern people you know economics and but the spiritual realm as well and all of that together how uh, you know they're responsible for their folks and when I was new um, living in Botswana to begin uh, translation work in the language that my family and I worked in um, I'll never forget that one of my first visits was to the the what had been in, in old times, the historic capital of the, the clan, the Bakalahari. Um, and the chief there at that point, um, he said um, that he wanted to be part of the committee that was being formed to, to examine uh, the need for translation and, and scripture translation, uh, not because he was a pastor, but he is a Christian and uh, it was his duty and responsibility as the chief of his people in that place to address the disunity that was there um, from different understandings of the gospel, because that the church is there. It was kind of more like a building without a book though. Um, and mm. so he was really concerned with um, the, the disunity that was there and addressing it, not just as it would be nice to do this, but because I'm the leader of these people and it's my God given responsibility to see that they're pointed to the truth. So, um, yeah, that just really stands out to me here.
0: And that's something where in Hebrews uh, uh, 13, you know, talks about praying for the governing authorities. First Timothy speaks about this is it is very hard for us to be able to conceptualize just what you experienced. Yeah. That had to be kind of crazy for you to hear that. Like, wait, don't you know church and state right. <laughs> or something, yeah. you know, because we're so used to those distinctions, Right. but also, our, our government leaders should be leading in a godly way. And, and that unity, when there's disunity within the church, that, that, that what we're hearing here is that, one, they saw that as part of their responsibility. Right. And I think that's something that we pray that is part of the responsibility for our governing leaders, too, to make godly decisions based on God's word and to be caring for all as Christ is redeemed for all. So that's why it's okay to be a Christian and a governing authority, because
1: yeah.
0: part of that rings true even in our own country.
1: Definitely so. I've been uh, living in, um, oh, I'm not going to have it here, First Timothy, um, where uh, Paul says, I urge that uh, prayers and supplications be made, uh, that holy hands be lifted up and prayers and supplications be made for people in authority, right? So, um, that, uh, so that we may lead a, a quiet and peaceful life, dignified in every way. This is pleasing to God, our Savior, who desires that all humanity, all mankind would come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. And um, those things like very connected. And so um, the involvement, uh, yeah, I've kind of wrestled with this thought a lot. We in our, in our society today um, live in a, a place where we can participate in our government and in a way that, you know, throughout most of history, even in the world today, most people can't. And so uh, on the one hand, what happens in the government is not the core and pinnacle of who we are or our own, you know, Telos, or the thing that completes us, um, that is Christ, and uh, plenty of Christians live in places where they can't influence the government at all, and they have their hope in Christ, and they endure, and yet we have the opportunity to be involved and to influence, and so there's a tension there that it's not how we get everything done, or we're not here to win that uh, necessarily, and yet um, there's a tension that we don't just abdicate our responsibility uh, to—we have the opportunity given to us by God to be involved in our government so it's a it's a tough thing to wrestle with
0: and I'd encourage our listeners as we continue this study that none of this happens in a vacuum like like Pastor said before that the relationship of the government and the church is significantly different than what we experience here yeah. in America. So just keep that in mind. We'll learn more about that in the next couple of episodes. So just keep that in your hermeneutical uh, translation as we look through everything to, in, our, in the Book of Concord. And, and also the beauty, the benefit of seeing the godly leaders that were there then and for us to pray for our leaders uh, also today. So uh, may the Lord lead us on that. Pastor, we have about a minute left in our time. How would you summarize uh, our, our beginning as at the preface of the Book of Concord and encourage our listeners in Christ?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I just really love, again, that uh, the the confessors are saying um, God's Word is the foundation. Um, we've been to a point where we've had clarity, and yet um, we recognize that uh, that clarity is always called into question and, and the work and, and the opportunity and the joy we have is to clarify and and to be clear and to confess. And we, in this era, have the collected works of those who have come before us and how they wrestled with us for us to have that deep and clear understanding, but also for us to be confessing today and being clear today in uh, many questions. I think what I love about the confessions is you dig in and find um Maybe the questions aren't quite the same, but the underlying root is, and there's already a a pathway there, um, and it can inform how we confess clearly today as well.
0: Well, may the Lord grant it. The Reverend Dr. Rich Radowski, Executive Director and CEO of Lutheran Bible Translators in Concordia, Missouri, given us God's Word from the preface of the Book of Concord. Dr. Rodowski, thank you for your faithful teaching on Concord Matters.
1: Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Appreciate it.
0: I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finner. Thank you for joining us and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.